You're listening to the Talking Crops Podcast. I'm your host, Chip Ward, and today we're going to be talking about the do's and don'ts when it comes to managing sugarcane aphids in grain sorghum. I'm pleased to have Gus Lorenz on the show today. He's an extension entomologist and distinguished professor from the University of Arkansas. Gus, how are you doing? Oh, hot. Just hot. We just got out of the field and uh, we're headed back to Lone Oak. We started at 6 o'clock this morning, so... Oh, well, what were y'all doing? I feel like I got a full day in. What were y'all doing? We've been down to Pine Bluff scouting worms and cotton and milo. Well, Gus, I was hoping you could answer some questions about sugarcane aphids because I know there currently isn't much research since uh, they've recently become a problem in the last three years. Actually, yeah, two for us and three for Louisiana, Texas. So if somebody's growing sorghum and they want to prevent sugarcane aphids from popping up in their field or prevent them from spreading, what's the best thing they can do? The best thing they can do is keep the Johnson grass controlled around the edges of the field. It's it's amazing what the, the interaction between that Johnson grass and the, the Milo is. It seems like all the fields where we see uh, aphids occur, fields that have Johnson grass in or around the field, that, that's a big, big thing. Then the second thing is obviously, you know, uh, making applications of a pyrethroid, like a lot of people have sprayed mids this year, you know, with pyrethroids and, and blue vapes, uh, and we've seen that for the last two years. So pyrethroid applications are absolutely the worst thing you can do. What is it about the Johnson grass that... I it's guess a host. Okay. It's a host for the sugar thing, right? Is, is there it, something but, chemically that they're dependent on or something? No, it's just a host. I mean, that's one of the things that they can feed on. You know, Johnson grass and Milo are in the same genus. They have the same genus. Right. So, I mean, they're closely related species. And uh, Johnson grass comes up before Milo in most cases, and it provides that source of uh, uh food for the aphids to get started on. Is there any, like, misconceptions people have about uh, trying to manage them? You know, I think one of the biggest issues is, you know, deciding when to spray. You know, that's when when the threshold is. What we say is 25% of the plants infested with 50 or more aphids, you know. That's a threshold. But, you know, the way these things hit, uh, when they hit a field, they start along the edge. They always start on the edges of fields. They never, and a lot of times that's where that Johnson grass comes in. So they flew in on the Johnson grass, they built up on the Johnson grass, and then they make the leap over onto the edge of the field. But they always start on the edges of fields, and and they'll be just a few spots along the edges, and then all of a sudden, those spots start multiplying along the edge, and then they begin to move into the interior of the field. And and the biggest problem is, you know, deciding when to make your application for control. And so in a lot of cases this year, uh, when we got pretty good numbers along the edge, a lot of people made edge treatments and just treated along the edges to get control, and that was... That's been somewhat effective for us, I think, you know, to 
slow down. You know, we're we're not getting out of making a treatment across the entire field, but we're buying time. And, and the thing about aphids is every day you don't have to spray is a good day because it gets you closer to the finish line. And so every day I can delay spraying the entire field is a good day because I may be able to make it by with one application rather than two. And so what we're trying to do with edge, edge treatments is buy some time. That's all we're trying to do is buy some time before they get across the field. So the difficulty's been for a lot of folks is, you know, decide when to spray. And when they first hit last year, a lot of people felt like as soon as they found some aphids in the field, they just needed to treat. A lot of times, you know, they were a little premature making an application when there's only a spot in the field where they are or maybe a couple, you know, you don't treat the entire field for that situation. But you have to wait and give them time to, to spread out a little bit. But when they start building on that edge of the field and you can make a treatment on just that one particular area where they are, you know, and slow them down, you know, it buys time for the grower. Are there treatments that work better than others? Well, there's, currently there's two products that are labeled that have proven to be effective for control, and that's Transform and Savanto. Both those products appear to be doing very well. They're stripped of control, and we're not getting a lot of negative feedback on either one of them. They both appear to be providing a level of control that is adequate. In most cases, we're getting 14 days to 21 days of, of control with those treatments doing fairly well. When you're scouting for aphids, is there a wrong way you can do it? Specifically, what is the most efficient way to scout for aphids? It's really, really, scout for aphids is pretty easy. You know, you can, because they colonize the edge of the field first, you know, it's pretty easy to scout for them. You, you can either walk or drive down the edge of the field and look for shiny spots in the on the leaves where the honeydew is on the leaf that shines real brightly and it's easy to find those spots where aphids are. It's much easier I'll say in the middle of the day than it is early in the morning when the dew's on and that kind of thing. I mean it's a little tougher to, to spot those shiny spots where the honeydew has been excreted by the aphids onto the upper leaf below them. And so, you know, in the morning it's kind of hard to scout for them, but up in the day when the sun's shining, they're not hard to scout for. They're pretty easy to scout for. Now, Gus, have you personally ever come in contact with a field that was just completely overrun with aphids? I have. I've seen several fields that way. So what exactly went wrong in those situations? Uh, the girl will miss them, or they weren't being, they're not being scouted on a regular basis. The thing to remember about aphids, that sugarcane aphids in particular, in this case, is their, the reproductive potential for these aphids is it, it's phenomenal. I mean, they're on a three- to five-day life cycle. They give birth to living young. They don't have a, They don't mate. They don't need to mate. The females are automatically, you know, when they're born in three to five days, they start reproducing, you know, babies. And so they they build up very quickly. And if you don't scout them on a regular basis, you know, in, in, in the case of Milo, you know, we have a lot of growers that don't, they don't have a, 
a consultant or staff that, that's looking at their fields on a regular basis. They get busy doing other stuff, you know, like watering rice or beans or corn or whatever, or taking care of their other crops, and, and they forget to go back in a week. And in a week, you can go from just a small population to a overwhelming population. Well, I, that's crazy. I had no idea that, uh, like, the females, they don't even have to mate. and They're just, they're just born yeah. pregnant. That's ridiculous. Do yeah, they, they're parthenogenetic. They call it parthenogenesis, where the female doesn't. They're all females, so there's no males involved, and the females give birth to, to identical clones to them. They're genetically, that, and that's the problem, you know, with, resistance in aphids is because of that situation. So you got when a female's giving birth to living young, they're they're genetically the same. So if you spray a population, there's that one one or two aphids in that population that are resistant to that insecticide, then pretty quickly you got resistance to that insecticide. I mean that's how quickly it can happen and that's why it's always appeared for us to have one class of chemistry to battle a pest like this. And that's why we went to the EPA and tried to get a, a Section 18 for Centric to get a, another class of chemistry that we could rely on to give us control. But the, the EPA and their infinite wisdom decided not to grant us a Section 18. Well, guys, let's see. We've talked about prevention, scouting, treatments, uh, just what makes the sugarcane aphid able to reproduce so quickly. Now what I want to know is, what is probably the stupidest thing somebody can do to their field if they don't want sugarcane aphids? Spray a pyrethroid. Uh, spray a pyrethroid. That's the stupidest thing you can do is spray a pyrethroid Now, what you want to call the aphid problem. But what it does is it removes all the beneficials that are helping keep that population in check. All those serpent flies and lady beetles and lace wings and, and parasites, all those beneficials that we rely on to keep test numbers in check. When you spray a pyrethroid, you wipe them all out. You remove all those population controls of that egg, and it just releases them and they and allows them to build up. There's no there's no more doubt. So besides a pyrethroid, can you think of anything else? No, that's anything that's it's harmful to beneficials to do that, but I mean, pyrethroids are the absolute worst because we use them in a lot of cases for midge control, and and that's about the same time these aphids are hitting is when that when the, when the milo is blooming, and that's the susceptible period for when midge attack. You know, they they only come in during flowering, and so. There's a lot of, in the past, there's been a lot of pyrethroid applications that were made automatically for midge control. It's the worst thing you can do to kill your beneficials and blow up aphids. So if pyrethroids are used for controlling midge, what's the worst thing for your field? Sugarcane aphids or midge? Other... Oh, midge, midge can be devastating. You know, midge, midge is the number one pest to grain sort of. It absolutely is. It's... It can cause more yield loss than any, any other pest, including aphids. The goal is to find something other than a pyrethroid that will control midge and 
not blow up aphids. The other thing is, you know, we can plant milo early enough to avoid vehicle applications. You know, you can if you plant milo early, and for us in Arkansas, in South Arkansas, that would be early April, and it's North Arkansas by mid-April. But if you plant it that early, we generally don't have any midge. Uh, they don't. They haven't had time to transition from again from Johnson grass. So you see the evil of Johnson grass. Right. It's not only midges or aphids that come from Johnson grass. It's also the midge. That's where it it makes its jump from Johnson grass to to Milo. So if you keep the Johnson grass down. That you're knocking out that source of infestation, not only aphids, but midge too. But a lot of times they don't have time to transition from the Johnson grass to the, to the milo if you plant it early enough. And so what we've encouraged our growers to do as much as possible was to plant early this year to avoid midge and thus avoid high retort applications that will get you into trouble for aphids. So, uh, you know, this this trend with pyrethroids, I'll just say this, you know, this trend with pyrethroids, this is not a unique situation in Milo. We also see this situation in soybeans, and we see it in cotton. You know, uh, pyrethroid applications just wipe out beneficials, and they open the door for pests to get in. And so we need to limit our pyrethroid applications as much as possible in all those crops to avoid flaring insect pest problem. Now, there's some cases where pyrethroids have to be used, you know, like for in, in soybeans for stink bug control, you know, you're pretty limited on what you can use. Right. Pyrethroids are, are kind of a important, uh, have an important use for stink bug control in soybeans and, and that kind of thing. But certainly, you know, with those broad spectrum Insecticides like pyrethroids uh, can can really cause you problems. And, and what we're trying to do, you know, nobody's telling you not to spray for midge. What we're telling you is spray when you have midge. Don't spray when you don't. Just don't make an automatic application. So between planting early, scouting, and avoiding pyrethroids, how effective have people in your area been at preventing sugarcane aphids than they were last year? It, by and large, I'd say that those changes have been very productive for our growers and, and have helped them to manage the aphid a whole lot better. But, you know, the, the truth of the matter is you can lead a horse to water a lot of times, but you can't make it drink. And, and so we we tell people, you know, don't make automatic pitch applications with a pyrethroid. And several of them did, and several of them have paid the price for that. They, they've had aphids blow up on them. So, I mean, that stuff is still going on, but over time, you know, uh, it, you know, the education on this kind of stuff is, you, you have to chip away at it. You don't, you don't win the world. You don't win the war in, in one, one year. You know, you have to keep chipping away and prove your point and, uh, and that's what we're doing. I mean, there's still people out there that are making automatic mid applications and they're, they're 
I want to add to a tarifa with that, and, they, and a lot of them paid the price for that, but uh, a lot more people listened to us this year and did those things that they could do to avoid facing situations and by and large it's been highly successful I think. I think our growers have have responded extremely well for the most part and we've had uh, even though we've had aphid blow up on us uh, in the last couple of weeks it's still a whole lot better than it was a year ago at this time uh, particularly when you consider the fact that our acreage has gone up from 150,000 to over, well over 300,000 more than doubled our acreage. And so for us not to have as bad of issues as we've had is a good indication that the consultants and the growers out there have done a really good job on adjusting their their practices to make make this a livable situation. Well, Gus, it's it's good to hear that y'all are having some success with everything. Hey, thanks so much for uh, doing this interview with me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. At ACFAX, we're serious about crops. Connect to crop production, marketing information, and weather reports at ACFAX.com. That's A-G-F-A-X.com. We'll keep you informed. Copyright ACFAX, LLC. All rights reserved.